Good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Just checking this is working. There we go. Yeah. So we, uh, if you could have your Bibles, you might be kind of dipping into these. It's quite a good thing to do. Um, can you turn to Acts chapter 2, please? Um, if that's okay. Acts chapter 2. And this is one of the, the, the key passages that we've been thinking about this whole term, term about, um, or this series about baptism. And, uh, and it says from verse 37 onwards, it said, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is Peter's sermon on Pentecost. Cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and read this, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's some church meeting. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone, anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number each day, those who were being saved. What an amazing first day of the church, eh? And we're going to be remembering that particularly next week as we, we think about Pentecost. Um, but some of the things that Peter drew out there, he's talking about repenting, believing, being baptized, uh, forgiving. We've covered those over the past couple of weeks, and Lisa looked particularly at what baptism means uh, last week. And uh, we weren't just trying to fill in the space. We think that actually this week is really important as well in this term, Belonging. Because if you notice, it said they accepted his message and were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They were added to their number. There was a sense of belonging. As I was preparing uh, this sermon, a number of song snippets, no earworms, came into my head. And one of them was from a TV series in the 1980s called Cheers. Does anyone remember that? You know, it was on a Friday evening, 9 o'clock, Channel 4, and, and the song used to go something like, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, where they're always glad you came, and they painted a beautiful utopia of a pub on a Friday night. <laughs> Maybe not. But it was a lovely picture, wasn't it? You want to go where you belong, because there is an ins inside each human being, there's a sense of a need to belong. Whether we are introverts, whether we're extroverts, whether we like people or they just annoy us, um, we have a, something in our hearts that means that we want to belong. We know it from uh, the, the famous poem by John Donne, No man is an island in and of himself. And it goes on to talk about not being on your own. But also, um, this work, you've seen it before, I'm sure, Abraham Maslow put this together from his studies about the basic needs of a human being in order to thrive. And the most fundamental needs, it's called the hierarchy of needs, are things like air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, the physiological needs. And then but when those are met, we can have a look at safety needs, and then slap, bang, in the middle 
love and belonging. A number of years ago, um, I was able to go uh, for a weekend on a Bear Grylls survival weekend. And I'm standing here, which means I survived. But it was really great. And the instructor um, gave us kind of a rule of thumb in the training at the very start. And he said there's a a loose rule called the rule of three. And he said in an emergency situation, um, you have about three seconds to make an emergency decision. To think, pause pause for three seconds and then make a clear decision. He says you can go three minutes, up to three minutes maximum without air. You can go three days without water before things start to break down. You can go three weeks without food. And then he said you can go three months without company. He said because after that then, maybe for some people before that, you start to go a little bit stir crazy because there's something in all of us that needs that connection with other people. In fact, research suggests that this sense of what's termed belongingness is what's a real problem in society today. There's social isolation, not just for our picture of the elderly sitting at home on their own, but actually across the age demographic. There are people who've got, there's a loneliness epidemic at the moment. Even people who feel connected to their 3,000 friends on Facegram or whatever you're attached to are incredibly isolated because even though you belong to 17 different communities and liking of groups, there's a sense of a lack of belonging somewhere. And I suggest that this that greater sense of belongingness leads to lower levels of loneliness, isolation, and depression. Now, you, you must not have escaped the fact that depression and mental health illness is rife in our society and it looks like it's getting worse. Thankfully, we're talking about it more. But belongingness has actually been shown to be something which can actually address that issue. And because we live in a a world and a society where there's a real sense of, of brokenness, of belongingness, is it as a playground for radicalization. So those people who radicalize, particularly young men, they prey on the fundamental human desire and need to be part of something. Something bigger than yourself with a purpose and a point. Now, I'm sure you all belong to lots of different things. Whether you belong to families, of course, you belong to a company, an organization, uh, maybe you belong to a school, whether it's a pupil, a student, staff. You belong to sports clubs, hobby groups, campaigning movements, political parties, societies, social media groups. Maybe you're supporting a particular club or team. I'm not going to mention what happened last night, all right, Chris? Not bad, 2-0, here we go. Liverpool won. Um, Or maybe you're a member of a fan base or something like that, okay? We all have a sense that we need to belong to something. I don't know how you show that you belong, whether it's a badge or a T-shirt or, you know, some kind of membership card. I love it when I go to a Christian conference and you can play Spot the Christian Car um, by which ones have got a little fish on the back. And I just love this picture of Christian cars. And I think, at what point did they pray the sinner's prayer? And uh, seeing which cars are going to get into heaven and which ones aren't because they've got a fish or not. But how do you know if you belong to something? What marks you out? Well, we're going to think about that belongingness. But I want to go back a couple of years to one Christmas where, um, I, one Christmas time, I was away from home. I was away from um, my family. And I was, on Christmas Day, I went to a, um, a particular church, um, and I knew some people there, and uh, I was standing there, and I was singing the usual carols, and something in me surprised me. I 
I missed home on Christmas Day. I missed home. And I missed my family on Christmas Day. You might not think that's particularly strange, eh? Apart from the fact that I was standing in my home church in Belfast. And I was going, and I had my mum beside me, and I had my brother nearby as well. And I went, but I'm missing home, and I'm missing my family here. And I went, what is going on? It did my head in. I'm still working it out. And then I think about those strange passages that Jesus talked about in Mark chapter 3, where he's preaching and teaching, and some people come up and say, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are outside. And he says this really weird thing. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? Tell you who they are. They're the people who follow God, who follow what he says and obey him. And I kind of get a glimpse of that. Our family, we belong to the family of God. We are part of this family. Now, I as, the, as I've written this and put it on the board, maybe you're with me and one of those earworms is that song, We Are Family, is kind of going through your head. It's not a bad one to have because we are family. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord, which is really great because I'm rubbish with names. And so it's so good that in Christian circles, I see someone, I don't know what their name is, they seem to know me and I can say, great to see you, brother. And, oh, fantastic. It, uh, yeah, yeah, sister. Um, so if I call you brother or sister, don't be offended. It's not that you're unimportant. It's just I've got a rubbish memory. Um, but brother and sister is not just a nicety. It's a truth. We are brothers and sisters, part of this big family of God. Now, I know the term family can be a really great thing for lots of people, but it can also be a really painful thing as well because of our background, our upbringing. Maybe family is not such a positive word. Maybe it needs a little bit of redeeming. Can you look in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, please? And we're going to just read a few verses from that. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 26. It says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Perhaps you've heard that idea that aren't we all humanity? We're all God's children, aren't we? Kind of, yeah, because God created the universe and we're part of that. But actually, there's something in Scripture that says we become children of God. It's not something that we are inherently made like. But we become children of God. First and foremost, we belong to the family of God because of what Jesus has done. If we're in any doubt about that, we look at John chapter 1. And it says in John chapter 1, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The fact that we're part of God's family is not because we were brought up British, or because mom and dad were Christians, or because I've got seven generations of preachers or whatever. We are children of God because Jesus has made it so. We need to know that because it's not about your prestige or your personality. It's not whether you're Jew or Greek. Remember, the Jews thought they had a special place in God's heart purely for being Jews. I think the British thought that for quite a number of years as well. 
and, uh, and, and that kind of empire thing is kind of hard to shake. You can still see that. Is that, of course, God loves us. We're polite. <laughs> it's a bit like that. But actually, it's because of Jesus makes us part of the family. It says that we can have access to this relationship. And later on in Galatians, it says, because we can call God Abba. The concept of God as being Father is not that evident compared to the, in the Old Testament compared to the New Testament. So when the disciples said, teach us to pray, he doesn't say, oh, thou almighty God. He says, Daddy. Because he says, now you can have a relationship. You can be part of the family. Not because you're Jew or Greek, not because of your social success, slave or free, not because of your gender, male or female, in a very um, kind of paternal society in which they lived. This is really controversial. In Roman society, there were lots of religions where you couldn't access it if you were a woman. Christianity was actually a really attractive offer for women because they were excluded from so many other things. So this is saying, whether you're male, whether you're female, doesn't matter. You can be included. There's nothing of your own background or birth, your success, your, stat, your status, your natural abilities, your training, your knowledge of scripture or whatever that makes you part of God's family except through faith in Jesus Christ. Is that clear enough? That it's through Jesus we are children. There is only one natural child of God and that is Jesus. All the rest of us are adopted according to Ephesians chapter 1. Jesus allows us, makes it possible for us to be children of God because we as people have turned our backs on him. Each one of us are included in God's family. And it says we belong to, to Abraham's seed. We're the continuation of the people of God. And what is our whole point? And purpose, if we go back to Genesis, where God promises Abraham many, many uh, generations of people, more than the stars in the sky, what is their role? What is the role of the people of God? It's to bless the world. And what does that mean? Well, I think in, in kind of New Testament times, it means 2 Corinthians 5. It means that we are involved in reconciliation of the world with God, with people, with their Father. So we are the family of God, otherwise known as the church. Oh, my word. You're a keen lot, aren't you? The church. Oh, goodness me. Let's get going here. The church. It's a great thing, but it's not a building. It's really interesting. Um, the, the prayer room has kicked off an awful lot of fuss online. It's great. Um, there's a, there's a, um, you check it out. Skipton Community Notice Board. Fab, fascinating reading um, on Facebook, sorry. But just don't comment, please don't comment. It'll just stoke the fire. But people, one person was saying, why do you need a prayer room? There's a church building 50 yards away. Why can't they just go there and pray? And then people are asking. Because the church is seen as a building. When I was growing up, I came across uh, one church called Finicky Baptist Church. They weren't finicky. It's just how you pronounce it in Northern Ireland. Okay. <laughs> Finicky Baptist Church, and on their sign, it said, Finicky Baptist Church meets here. Because the church is not the building, whether it's 12th century or 21st century. The church is not this building. It's not next door. The church is the family of God. And the word for church was ecclesia. And we have that word in ecclesiastical, and it sounds awfully high church and everything, all oh, very, very posh. Ecclesia just means gathering, get together. A gathering of God's people 
is ecclesia, is church. That's a different take on it, isn't it? It's when the family have a get-together. This is ecclesia. This is church, not because we're inside a building with, that looks like a church. We are here because we are the gathering of God's family in this place. Because we belong to this family here. This is the family I miss whenever I was standing at my home church in Belfast going, I should feel at home here, and I miss my family back over there. We're part of this local part. But not just here. We've discovered over this past year the church in Skipton. We are part of a bigger body that belongs that this family in, in Skipton. And what's the one thing that unifies us? Jesus. Everything else can kind of fall away. That is the most important thing. That's what unifies us. So we are connected to the local church, but we're also connected to the global church. Some of you have heard this story before, but I, I said again, um, Helen and I were on an airplane. If you know it, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it again. And uh, we were sitting there waiting, having our drinks served to us, and uh, Helen was wearing her necklace, which had kind of the gospel beads on it, different colors that tell different parts of the gospel story. And one of the air stewards was up and down a few times, and he kept on looking at Helen. So I noticed this. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and each time he comes down, he just looks at my wife, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to smack this guy in a minute. So after a few times, he, he comes over and he leans over. And I said, right, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of winding up here. <laughs> he says, oh, excuse me, um, but do those colors mean something? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, are they the gospel? Yes. I'm a brother. Hallelujah! <laughs> And at 30,000 feet above the Indian Ocean, we had a connection with this absolute random stranger I was about to smack 30 seconds prior because he was a brother in the Lord. I didn't know him anything, anything else beyond that. And if you have any connection with mission, mission agencies uh, uh, around the world, you know that when you go to these places, you are embraced as family. I went to Tanzania twice, and we went to a church called Patmo Community Church. I went once, and I was privileged to speak there. It was really lovely. We got embraced. It was nice. We returned a few years later, and it was myself, Jacob and Reuben, and Phil Nixon. There were four of us, and we sat there, and the announcement, the leader stood up and says, we are so pleased to have three visitors with us, and I went, well, there's four of us. So we have three visitors with us, and one of us have come home. Cool. <laughs> I'm about to preach and you're saying that. Because he said, you're part of the family. We're part of this family, a global family. That's why we're praying in the prayer room, thy kingdom come globally. And we're praying on a world map as well because we are part of the global family of God. No matter what differences, geography, culture, even sometimes theology, if Jesus unifies us, we are family. And that's why we pray for the church, part of the church that's persecuted, because it is family that's in trouble. But we're not only part of the family globally and locally, we're also part of the family historically. We were in Cyprus one year and we went to this, you know, I like the old Roman ruins, you know, I'm a bit of a history geek. And we went to a place called Curion. And Curion was a Roman town in Cyprus which um, was devastated by an earthquake. Um, a kind of around the 300s, 400s. And they've got a beautiful museum. And in this museum, there's a a large centerpiece where it has three skeletons. 
and it's a, it's a collection of skeletons from the one family. It's a dad, it's a mom, and it's a child. And they're kind of all embraced because they're, you know, they know they've got certain death. They're in the middle of an earthquake, and they died in that position. It's really moving. But what's even more moving, and what really prompted something, was that on the finger of, of the man was a ring. And it was this ring, and on this ring was the Cairo symbol. If you don't know what that is, that's one of the ancient symbols that represented he was a Christian. Either that or he'd just been to the flea market and made a bargain. But um, this was a man who was a follower of Jesus. And separated by thousands of miles, separated by thousand or so years, I felt connected with this group of three people who had died as part of the family of God. We are connected as the family of God, even over history. You belong. You belong to this church. You belong to the church local. You belong to the church global, and you belong to the church historic. You are part of God's family if you believe in Jesus Christ. And the way that that is demonstrated is through baptism. And the baptisms are coming up next week. You're getting better. Great as people demonstrate that they want to show that we belong to this body of believers. We're part of this thing called the church. And it was really serious, especially in the early days of the church. And they had, baptism was like an initiation rite, because it was really serious. It was taking your life in your hands if you were becoming a Christian. So baptism was a serious thing, to say publicly, I'm a follower of Jesus. You couldn't take communion if you weren't baptized. I know there are many denominations still hold fast to that. We have an open table. It's very different. It's up to you to make that choice. But the baptism and communion or the Eucharist are the earliest and probably most common and most shared sacraments. Entry into this family and a shared meal of the body and blood of Jesus. When we teach the baptism class, one of the key things that we try and draw out um, is that baptism is not an arrivals line, it's a departure gate. So many people think, ah, I won't get baptized till I know enough Bible, until I feel like I'm a proper Christian, uh, like that means I've been a Christian for 20 years, then I'll maybe get baptized. Actually, it's a departure gate. It's saying, I am starting, I am confessing that I am following an onward journey with Jesus. And this journey is not a solo one. It's not a solo journey. John Wesley wrote, the New Testament knows nothing of solitary religion. We read um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 onwards, and it says that the, the, the church was devoted to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. In those five verses, there's a word which is repeated three times. And the word is together. The word is together. The church, the family of God was together. They broke bread. They prayed together. They ate together. They shared together. In fact, this Christian word, kenonia, is actually a, a, a Greek word which means common stuff, shared stuff. That's where we kind of get community from. Togetherness. In Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, it says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up a meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's incredibly sad as you see that, the, that church attendance has, has drifted downwardly over the past 20 years. Um, there are some signs of new growth, absolutely, but as a whole, the church in the UK and in Europe seems to be diminishing. It's not the picture around the rest of the world, but that's another thing. The sadness also is that there's an increasing trend of our church, the church in Skipton, and the church in the UK. There is a, a trend which is developing where we treat Sunday morning worship together as an optional extra, as one of the options we can do at, at our weekend. And it's not prioritized. And I've experienced watching people who come to Christ uh, in their new faith, and there's lots of enthusiasm, and then it starts to tail off as they don't meet up. I've seen people who've been Christians for 20, 30 years who, for different reasons, just don't come as often either to church on a Sunday morning or to small group. And as their attendance kinds of drops, we're not keeping a register, but you just tell people start attending less and less, and it is more and more difficult for their faith to stay alive and vibrant. Nicky Gumbel tells a story of um, a man who fell out with church and it stopped going. He said he didn't need it. He was a Christian. He didn't need church. One of the leaders, an old wise man, came around to him and just sat in his lounge with him. And they sat in front of this coal fire. Didn't say anything for quite some time. And then the old man got up, went over with a pair of tongs and took one of the coals out of the fire and just placed it on the hearth and went and sat back down again, didn't say anything at all. And they both sat there and they watched this piece of coal, which was glowing red hot. And then gradually it started to get duller and duller and duller until it was just left as a blacky gray stone. Lifeless. And then he, the old man got up again after a few moments, got the tongs, picked up the gray piece of stone placed it back into the fire, and sat back down again. Over the next few minutes, this piece of coal started to glow again through the colors of the heat spectrum. It started to get a little bit red, and then brighter, and yellowy, and orangey, and then to bright white, until you could see no difference between it and the other coals that were heavily on fire and exuding lots of heat and light. The old man left, and the young man knew for certain what the message was. A Christian out of fellowship is like a coal out of the fire. We are not meant to be part of the family on our own. We're not meant to be an island. It's almost like the writer of Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, when he says, don't give up meeting together. It's almost as if they could see into the future all those things that tempt us, like extra work shifts, um, pressure from work to do extra things, those shopping habits that we need to fit in, sports clubs and all their events, the family trips, the parties, the lions, the catch-up TV, all the things that say, listen, going and meeting together and worshiping as church is just one of those options you can take. Or you can leave. It's your choice. It's why meeting on Sunday mornings together is vital. It's why meeting is part of small group, discipleship groups, prayer, mentoring partnerships. It's not only important, it is actually desperately needed if you want to continue in your faith in a strong, vibrant way. Because we are part of the family, but we're also part of the body. We have a part to play. And Helen read it so beautifully, by the way, really beautifully. Thank you. 
about the fact that we are part of the body of Christ. We know this passage really well. We're not going to spend a huge amount of time on it because we know it very, very well. But there's a few things I wanted to draw out as we kind of draw things to a close. Nothing I'm going to say is, is something that you haven't heard before. One of the reasons for that is because I preached this three years ago. So if you were here, you may well have heard it. Um, and I thought, shoot, can I repeat this? Then I realized that I couldn't remember what I actually said. Um, and then I thought, this is important stuff. So a few things just to draw out of this 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 27. You are part of the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. Every one of you is part of it. You are not isolated from it. Verse 27 says, you are the body of Christ, each one of you. And this is the one of the issues that plagues the church, this issue of comparisonitis. And it's what's drawn out in this passage, is that if I'm, I compare myself to other people in the church, and they are really much more important to the church than I am, or even more devastatingly, we look at other people in the church and go, I'm much more important than they are. The danger of comparisonitis. We each have our part to play. I love the fact that it's, um, it talks about these, the ear and the foot and everything. and says, um, if I'm not a hand, therefore I don't belong. Or if I'm not an eye, therefore I don't belong. And it just says, well, that's nonsense. You just belong. So it doesn't matter what you think about yourself. The fact is, the reality is, you are part of the body of Christ. Because you confess yourself to be a follower of Jesus. It says it would not cease to be part of the body. You are part of the body, but more than that, you are important. There is unity of diverse parts, but there's not uniformity. Imagine Mikey from Monsters, Inc. It says, what if the whole body was an eye? Of course, the old joke there. He hasn't got a nose. How does he smell? Awful. Awful. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist we are not all the same. We're not meant to be all the same. We have to be different parts in order for the body to exist. If there's only one part of the body, ironically, then there's no body. You're just an eyeball or an ear. We don't want the church identical. We don't want to walk into a church where 20, 30 years ago, where all the men are wearing identical gray suits and all the women are wearing identical kind of Laura Ashley print dresses with a hat. That doesn't reflect the gloriousness of the church. What? Look around. Look around. This is what reflects church, that we are different, we are individuals, but we are part of the body. Someone's giggling a bit too much over that side. Think about painting. If we wanted to paint the color green, we need the color blue and the color yellow. But on that painting, you can imagine the blue going, well, no one knows that I'm here. Or the yellow going, well, no one knows that I'm here because we just see green. But without them, you wouldn't have the green. Without you, we may not have a particular ministry. Without you, there is a U-shaped hole in the ministry of the church as a whole. Where are you fitting? If you don't know where you fit, if you don't know what God wants you to do, ask Him. It says in the next slide, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wants them to be. He wants you to be here, to do something, to be something, to be here. You've got something to offer and who you are. If you don't know, ask God or ask your friends. Say, do you know, I want, I want to be part of this. How can I? What do you think I could do? And they might say, well, not what you're doing at the moment. Uh, that's called honesty. 
What, what do you think it would be good for me to do? I want to serve. Ask us. Ask the leadership. I don't know what God wants me to do. Will you help me work it out? We'd love to do that. Without you, something could be getting mixed, missed or something may not be happening properly. Who was at the SBC AGM a few weeks ago? Not enough of you. <laughs> Who's read the report books? Still not enough of you. Please get one. Because these are amazing stories of what this part of the church is doing. And loads of people are involved in this. And I sat, and one of my highlights of the whole thing was David's presentation of the finances. Where are you, David? There you are. Thank you. It was one of my highlights. I know. Weird. <laughs> and it's because I, it was one of those things, you were, you were thanking your team and I turned to Joe, I was sat there, and I turned to Joe Nixon, and I said, Joe, if it wasn't for what you do, there's no way Lisa and I could do what we do. Not a chance. Because we don't want, oh, you don't want us to have spreadsheets. <laughs> okay? Amen. Without you doing that stuff, which is about numbers and columns and formula, we can't do what we do. You wouldn't have what we do. Everyone has a part to play, but it's important to remember, play your part, not someone else's part. You might think that your part is unimportant. That's not true at all. The smallest bones in the body are in the ear. Without them, you wouldn't be able to hear. You have an important part to play, even if you think it's one that's not particularly significant. That's what this passage draws out. It says that... Um, each of us have a role to play, and those who seem to have the most insignificant ones are incredibly important. In fact, in other parts of 1 Corinthians, it talks about the weaker parts are indispensable. Without these parts, we wouldn't be able to function as a body. Honor the unpresentables, because without you know, those things that we don't talk about, without them, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? And the presentable bits get enough glory and enough credit Yes, it's important, the people who lead, the people who pray out loud, the people who worship lead, the people who preach, the evangelist, the pioneer, the leader, all those things are important, but they're not more important than those who do the cleaning, the catering, the family work, the prayers, and behind the scenes, the opening up, the locking up, the tech team, all have a part to play. What is yours? And each part should have equal concern for one another. We have a responsibility for each other. I want to ask, are you a part or are you a participator? Do you take or are you involved in being a giver as well? Because part of that giving is supporting one another. And it says one part suffers, every part suffers with it. This came um, really importantly with Michael and JJ. It was good we prayed about them earlier. And Michael said I could share this. It was interesting. He said that... Um, just a couple of days after um, they lost Bethany, I was around visiting him, and he said, I can't see Jesus' face. I can't see it at all. But my goodness, we can feel his arms wrapped around us. And how did he feel? He and JJ feel the arms wrapped around them? By the church in Skipton of all the different flavors and varieties, sending them love and prayers and food and cash and honorariums and support and just overwhelming them with love and affection. Because it isn't just, here's another thing for you, it isn't just what you do, it's actually the way that you do it. 
That's why we continued the passage on from chapter 12 on to chapter 13. It's about showing love. It said, I can do all these things. I can be a great at this, that, or the other thing. But if I'm not doing it with love, I might as well not be. If I'm not supporting someone because of love, I might as well not be doing it. Lisa and I have this phrase, which is about anyone who wants to be involved in helping or working or ministering. It's about attitude, not aptitude. It's about character, not competence. Because this is what Paul says. How you do things is more important than what you do. And what is the defining characteristic? What's the badge, the t-shirt? What's the defining family resemblance that links us all together and says that we are part of the family of God? It's this. Everyone will know that you're my family if you love one another. It's the defining characteristic of the family of God. By everyone will know that you are my family if you love one another. You have a part to play. You're a part of the family. Find out what it is, but whatever it is you do, or whatever you offer, make sure you're doing it with the right attitude, with the right character, and that characteristic is love. And it says, according to Acts, that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Would we like that? I think so. Amen.